Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the marketing show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Social Media Examiner. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 51. We're talking marketing versus PR with our guest, Sarah Evans. This episode was broadcast on Facebook Live originally, and there was a glitch. So I'm re-recording the intro, and then we'll jump in to the interview with Sarah. I want to quickly say that this is sponsored by Powers of Marketing. I am Megan Powers, the founder and owner of Powers of Marketing, strategic marketing development and execution. And our guest today, Sarah Evans, is the founder of Sevens Strategy and Sevens Digital PR. She's a digital strategist and global brand correspondent who works with companies worldwide to create and improve their social and digital strategies advising on branding, marketing, advertising, and public relations. Additionally, Sarah is a digital correspondent for several companies, including PayPal, Cox Communications, MGM International, Walmart, Shorty Awards, and more. Sarah got her start by helping small to mid-sized businesses build their digital PR efforts. Previously, Sarah worked with a Las Vegas crisis center to raise more than $161,000 in three weeks exclusively via social media and is honored to be a member of the Guinness Book World Record holding hashtag beat cancer team, a cause near and dear to my heart. Now, I want to say that this episode is not one that we planned way around the COVID-19 situation. It is one that was booked weeks ago. So this just happens to be very timely in terms of what Sarah is working on with her clients. So we dig into that a little bit, but mostly we talk about marketing versus PR and kind of the state of things. So please enjoy and welcome our guest, Sarah Evans. All right. So actually, you know what I want to ask real quick first in your bio, tell us what it means to be a digital correspondent. Because I think that's, I've never heard it put quite that way. So it is job title I invented 11 years ago. Got out of corporate communications. I was director of communications for a college in the Chicago area and was also consulting in the evenings on all things PR. My background was you know, straight corporate PR before the rise of digital. And as I started consulting and doing work for brands, because I'd also built up an online presence, this was also prior to the age of influencer, the brand said, yeah, we love the strategy. We want to work with you behind the scenes, but can you also talk about us in front of the camera and use your amplification? So I had to find a way to kind of build in or marry together the stuff I like to do, which is the strategy and the outreach and securing media hits, but also leveraging and including the awesome communities that I've built online. So I do that through the guise of digital correspondence. So I can still do the back end. And then at times I'm still leveraged as either um, on-camera talent, doing satellite media tours, or being a third-party spokesperson for brands in social assets. Gotcha. All right. Cool. I like it. Making up titles. That's my favorite thing. I love especially C-level ones that are like, you know, oh, yeah. 
more creative. Uh, that's when your that's parents awesome. have no idea what you do. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, although some of the creative ones are like, oh yeah, totally. Like I think he's the chief entertainment officer or whatever. I'm like, yes, I like that. That's badass. <laughs> All right. So like I said, it's kind of ironic. We're talking PR today in the middle of the COVID-19 insanity. So you mentioned a little bit about kind of what, what you're doing, but like, what's the, what's the biggest thing you're helping with people right now and Lida, what's going on? There are a few things. So I'll kind of outline yeah. those as, as quickly as I can. One is working with one of our clients who is Turbine Labs and they are a listening or monitoring tool, but they have AI in the background. So they thought as we were brainstorming, what is something we can provide to people to help when we're in a time of mass information where it's misinformation, rumors, fear mongering, things that can be really used to trigger a lot of panic and anxiety as seen in, you know, toilet paper aisles being bought out and sanitizing wipes and hand sanitizer flying off the shelves. So number one, they've created a daily resource that's free that would usually be part of a costly industry monitoring system on their site that gives a daily recap using AI, showing the most vetted incredible sources, talking about national and international trends, showing the important numbers that we all want to know. So we're working to really promote that and get people to sign up so it can help with some of that anxiety level and, and be a resource. Number two is uh, serving as a resource for booking producers and assignment editors who need to get in touch with medical experts quickly, whether it's an ER doctor, some sort of biohazard expert. Yet Just yesterday, we were sourcing a vaccination expert for a very large um, international media entity. So we're helping to vet and find experts and connect them with the media who need to access them quickly. And third uh, is a resource I didn't know it would end up becoming so popular, but we are compiling the master lists of all events and entertainment venues that have either canceled, postponed, or delayed due to coronavirus. And it's become cited among many news outlets. It's being used in several different communities, and we're up to over 250 at this point. We've been capturing it for eight days now. Okay. Wow. I saw a post from uh, Duncan Wardle earlier today on LinkedIn, and he gave a keynote to an empty room. So the picture was him standing in the middle of the room with his arms out and the, you know, the stage behind him and the screen. And so they decided, and of course, I can't remember that it was one of the big consulting firms that decided to move forward with having the tech side be there rather than trying to build with a live streaming in a way that they didn't understand live streaming from the actual venue where the event was to be held to because of the, you know, everyone was all the, you know, travel was halted and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's interesting because I think the fear mongering is, it's a big thing. And I saw someone post yesterday, a positive, because you don't, you're not, we're not hearing any positives. And the positive being that, you know, whatever the last I saw on this site, 46,000 people who have recovered from it, like who are fine, or, you know, who have been diagnosed or who were, who were found out they had it and didn't even know or whatever, you know, there's all those numbers. So in addition to who's affected and not doing well, hearing also that positive side, I think is important. And the AI being used to track, that's so interesting to me. Well, it, that really comes down to because there's so much information, there's hundreds of thousands of pieces being published every day. That's in traditional media, social media, and online communities and forums. So to have a custom AI that can read 54,000 times faster than the human brain and gain context from that is 
can you imagine if we were trying to do that, we would, we wouldn't be sleeping. No, absolutely. And I also saw somebody else posted something to the effect of, of the hundreds of thousands of articles that have been written and, you know, all the, all the information that is out there, whether it's true or false is coming from very few sources. Like people are just recycling the stuff that they're reading somewhere else so that they can be in on talking about it. It's like yep. remarkable. You know, what's an interesting point. When we started capturing the list of events for coronavirus, I made a judgment call to create it in a Google Doc because I don't want to capitalize off of what's happening with driving views back to a site. So it is just a Google Doc that is view only and I share out the link every day and it's not driving traffic to anywhere except the news articles that are or the events themselves who are citing the cancellation or postponement of their their events. Right. Yeah. And I'm actually it's interesting you say that because uh, I'm seeing the word postpone used a lot more than I'm seeing the word cancel, which you know puts mm-hmm. a positive spin on it. And hopefully, you know, also seeing people trying to capitalize on and people throwing their hands up about like trying to create an online event from something that's typically offline when those attendees aren't normally used to consuming content in that way. And suddenly everyone's an expert, you know, oh, we can help you, you know, raising their hands and trying to capitalize on that side of things. It's interesting. And it's important to find the helpers and not the profiteers. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause there's people who, who have been out there doing this and PS, it should actually, you know, meetings and events is my jam that, that you should already have a virtual element. Anyway, you should already have a streaming element to your conference. So having it be one or the other shouldn't really be the thing. It should be like, oh, well, then let's just do the live leverage this. Uh, The Shorty Awards actually just announced today they're moving to an online only award show this year. And when is that held? That is May 9th, I want to say. Interesting. It's coming up. up. But I I have, there's things that are still like scheduled in April and May that are still like Coachella hasn't been canceled yet, but you know, it's going to be canceled. Not yet, but, but there's rumors. I mean, it's it's pretty intense rumors right now that it will be. Well, I think that because the, the city of Coachella has said mm-hmm. no events with more than however many people. I think that's kind of it, the guideline that's being set, like no more than so many people mm-hmm. come in one place at one time. So Shorty Awards are May 3rd. I just wanted okay. to verify, right. not May 9th, May 3rd. All right, cool. All right, so I am a sorority woman. I'm a Delta Gamma. And in college, we were told everything is PR. Like everything, like you may not be wearing our letters, but you are out, you are representing us as people know that you're a member, whether you have the letters on or not. So whatever you do affects the chapter. And so this, I thought of that as I was thinking of wanting to talk with you about the difference between marketing and PR. And then as you said in your tweet today, you've been saying for 12 years, you've had this opinion that hasn't changed. And so let's get into that. So that the topic of the show that I kind of decided that, cause I think it's interesting because a lot of people don't know, even people who work in the space are like, don't like they feel like the line is blurred. And I think with the onset of all, you know, there being so much digital, I think that's part of that. So let tell our um, listeners and viewers what your take is on the difference between marketing and PR. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, Megan, I was also a sorority girl in college. I was a tri-delta, so I'll give a shout out uh, to <laughs> awesome. uh, uh-huh. that great organization. And we actually had the same conversation that once you become a representative of that organization, you can use this analogy you just gave your organization. You're always wearing the letters, whether or not you're there. But this is what I have always said. The difference between marketing and PR is that marketing is what gets people in the door and PR is what keeps people coming back. I can even segment that out a bit further 
into basic what gets people in the door through a paid PPC social ad component that falls under marketing. What gets people through the door through more of an organic entity would fall under PR. So you can actually even segment those out a bit more since the age of digital. And it seems a little vague. And when you're working with people, they kind of encompass everything between marketing and PR, but they really are two very different things that are very synergistic. And on the organic side, for example, let's say we're working with a client and we land them a great media placement. That's step one. That's what we need to get over to the marketing side then to really leverage that. Are we going to launch a paid ad campaign around that? Are we going to give that some longevity? Is it become evergreen for social media ads uh, or for future marketing testimonials for recruitment? I mean, there's so many things we can do with that one piece of content for amplification on both a paid and an organic side, but there are different starting points for each profession. For sure. And yeah, so when I have people ask me, oh, do you do PR? And my answer is, well, not officially, because for me, I can, I can 100, I can write a press release and I can get media contacts, but I don't have those contacts. And I think that's what people like you bring to the table is that you already have those relationships and you have that Rolodex for you kids at home. It's a thing that used to flip or you used to write people's information uh, <laughs> that I don't have. So yeah, for sure I can do it, but I think it's, there's so much value in having someone like yourself who like, you know, you already know all those people. I mean, obviously. It does help you. Yeah. And it takes years and years yeah. to build that up. And you have to be hungry. And it's essential to practice servant leadership. I'm always humbled because the media have to work in such a fast pace. And they require, it's not their job to tell your story. You have to provide them some ideas and then let them tell it in an unbiased way. You lose control. So on my end, there's so much client education. Um, so much that happens behind the scenes to hold hands, to help create resources, talking points, set and manage expectations. Just this week, we had clients get bumped off a major national TV show because of coronavirus. And it, it is very upsetting because it's something you're really excited about. And for startups, especially, that's you know huge. It's a huge way to showcase to investors that you're doing well and that you have all this opportunity, but celebrities are getting bumped from these shows. The media, the beast of the media nature is changing right now because there is an international story breaking. Yeah, for sure. I have a charity event that I used to hold and I reached out and I got I got news there a couple times in the six years that we held it. But always we were like, fingers crossed that it's a slow news day <laughs> because we knew this feel good story would totally be the first thing to, to get, get bumped. bumped. Yeah, I can yeah. get bumped. Mm -hmm. It's never a story till it's live. <laughs> right. For sure. A lot. For sure. You know, it's, it's yeah. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what are a couple of your, I know this is like going to be a loaded question, which, you know, most questions on podcasts are, there's always a million, probably a million answers um, that you could give. And we only have so much time, but I, I would love for you to share a couple of pieces of advice when brands and individuals, when it comes to one, like maintaining good PR and two, like if something has gone wrong, what's the best way to address it? I'm going to start off with number two, because it is okay. so timely. And I've actually had to spend a lot of time doing this lately that when there is a, a national story, and especially if there's human life or tragedy involved in it, that it is not time to leverage your brand if it doesn't fit in the story organically. One of the biggest mistakes that I see brands make time and time again is taking advantage, not even with negative implications, but trying to insert themselves into a story and forsaking 
their branding or their PR opportunities long-term by trying to get these quick wins that, hey, we're XYZ for coronavirus, but you're really not. And then people find out and it's a false promise. And now you've destroyed credibility. If your PR person pitched that or is pitching it, and let's say it doesn't get picked up, they could be blacklisted by the media, thus damaging their opportunities. Because as PR people, those relationships are golden. So you only want to do outreach when there really is a, a great fit and a really good story takes a long time for long lead publications. If it's not urgent, important, timely, then it does take a little bit of time. So that's part one. That's a mistake to avoid. So thinking of that long game versus the short game so that you can really do a great job. And then the first part of the question was what? It was what is maintain just maintaining good maintaining relationship. okay yeah I wanted to end on that positive yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so maintaining those relationships there are so many things you can do one of the things I do is I'm a very regimented person so every day I have a list of five to 15 journalists I check in with and say are you working on anything are there any sources that you need and they're typically people that work in live or frequently need on-air guests for things who do you need how can I support you and I'm offering them interview opportunities that are not just my clients. I follow through. I always am timely. I respond within you know, 15 minutes if they message me. And because of that, because of those best practices, I've been lucky enough to build some great relationships to help secure those sources. So when we land new clients, I have more opportunities to get some pitches seen and out there. Also, this has taken years of experience just to research and learn what each job function does. If I'm pitching a story to TV that I'm looking for the assignment editor and not going straight to the on-air talent or anchor who may not be, you know, producing on on that end. And same with print, same with digital. And, and Megan, you and I were talking about this before the show. If you tell people what you do immediately, they're like, oh, can you get us in publication XYZ? And you're like, right. like I, I asked a few questions to you. And once I understood what you did, then I know what you're doing in your job, your role, your function. So I'm not going to off right. hit you. Right, right. There's the airplane. <laughs> you're right on cue. <laughs> Hopefully they're going somewhere fun. Right. Hopefully the plane is full. And so it's funny you say that because I do, I can think about that. I love being in airports because I just like to make up stories yes. about, about people's lives. And then I, Where are they going? Yeah. Sometimes I think about, I see them landing, coming in and I'm like, or are they coming home or are they coming to visit? And I try to like, yeah, think about, it helps keep me um, in constant, like wanting to be on vacation mode also. <laughs> <laughs> the, the creepy thing I do in airports is look for parents traveling along with small kids. I'm like, you want me to sit by you and I'll hold your child. <laughs> I love kids. And if I'm not with my kids, I just I, like, I need that child energy. Uh-huh. Um, and I have helped so many parents by themselves with babies. So I'm like, I'll hold them. If you go to the bathroom, I'll get something out of your diaper bag for you. Like it brings uh-huh. me joy. That's awesome. I love it. So yeah, so I'm curious, something you said made me think of the relationship within a company or within an agency or within a whatever between marketing. And so, you know, I'm a community moderator for Social Media Examiner. And when things come up that are hot topics or that hot, hot issues, it hit me that we should have been prepared with with some answers prior to things coming up. So what's your what do you think is a best practice in terms of that relationship between marketing, those people who are engaging with the with the end users or with the customers or you know whoever the attendees may be and editorial or PR. Number one, I can give a use case example that's daily in my life. One of my favorite marketers in the world is Shama Hyder and she runs Zen Media. And we've partnered together on on several projects. Because she has this just innate 
marketing genius. She is someone that inherently now, when I'm working on a PR idea, even if it's not for a client that we're sharing, we bounce things off of each other all the time. So I can just get that other mindset. So number one, best practice, I'd say have a a counterpart advocate, whether it's internal to the company or someone on a Twitter chat that you've met or someone online that you interact with, it only makes you and forces you both to become better professionals. And also think about all the things you haven't thought about in the other person's shoes. If it's not someone internal, that's fine because it just gives you that sounding board outside the organization. But internally, it's important to both not just be at the table, but to be in each other's brains and see where there are opportunities. Because what I have found time and time again is that I approach things so hardcore organic and I'm extremely mindful of ethics. And you know, I'm, I'm coming at it from a certain viewpoint that I can tend to forget all the other assets that are at our disposal from a marketing side, or I'm just not ideating in that marketing zone. So to get that feedback helps me become more comprehensive, whether it's we have a strong organic call to action for this campaign that we're launching, but on the marketing side, they can come up with five other ways that we can utilize that call to action through some paid social or some marketing tactics or a unique landing page and URL that they can then get up and running. So I think just number one, it's having that that counterpart advocate. I think every company needs that. And then one of the things that I do, I'm a process junkie. So anytime we're working on anything, I create an internal process guide for how to work with various roles. What can each person do and what are their deliverables? Um, And that changes, but it's kind of a generic umbrella. So if anyone comes into the company, they can say, okay, person X does this, 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 this role does this, this, this. Are we combining them all and really thinking through it? Right. It was a long one. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Well, and I was thinking too about being ready to respond when something goes wrong, having those plans in place, having that process in place because you have to reply when people find issue with things and being ready to do that and to not give canned responses to every person, you know, to be like, to have some nuance to your, to your response and show empathy and really and truly, you know, make sure they understand that you understand where they're coming from and all that stuff. I mean, I have years of preparing crisis communications plans, and that is something every organization needs internally, even a startup. Um, If your founder gets outed, if something happens, you have to have something in place, even at a very basic level. And for organizations that even either you have legal on staff or legal on retainer, you have to have certain job just certain jobs that are part of that plan from director of communications to legal, to marketing, to social. And because everyone really is a PR person, it's something that has to be tiered out in terms of messaging too for first talk to your employees before going public. First alert your stakeholders before going public. And all that needs to be done now in the time of digital age within 24 hours to get things out there. So working with a a comms, a communications expert for a, a crisis plan is invaluable. Right, for sure. And, you know, with like with Twitter, with social, there's definitely a a pile on, you know, people tend to pile, even if they weren't at something where something happened, you know, they'll comment, oh, that happened. And then it it can escalate really quickly. And the word using the word squash isn't right, but like trying to squash it, you know, trying to get ahead of it as quickly as possible, I think is crucial. Being a meetings and events person, like that's always in the forefront of my mind is while you're on show site, having a plan, like, I mean... We know like there there have been some pretty major things that have happened with huge events that where like there was no plan. The people putting on the event had no plan. 
they didn't put anything out on social media. They didn't, you know. And so, yeah, I, that's one thing I always preach is having a crisis communication plan. To sure. say and, nothing is the worst thing you can do. It allows people, others to own the narrative. And things escalate when people don't have an answer because they're always ideating in the worst case scenario. Yeah, no question. For sure. Well, I say this every time that went really fast, um, but I'm going to give you one final question that I mm-hmm. like to ask our guests is, is there a, like an app, a tech, a gadget, anything that you're hot on these days that makes your job or your life easier or more fun? What do you use? Oh my gosh, days? so many. Okay. So let me think in terms of apps. I'm pulling my phone out right now because I always panic when I get answered. Ask That's these okay. Questions. So while, while you look, uh, Number one, my my Peloton. Oh, perfect. (laughs) My Peloton is helping uh, from a health standpoint. I also every day have to go look on Product Hunt. It's a new site for startups and new tech gadgets and consumer tech. And I always want to see what's trending there. And those are my two. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So we have never recorded out of order before. So this is the first time I'm going to be able to promote the next episode. Legitimately, like it's in the can. So pumped that Andrew and Pete got together with Jen Cole and myself while at Social Media Marketing World, and we recorded episode 52 of uh, Making a Marketer, and it is awesome. If you don't know Andrew and Pete, you must know Andrew and Pete. And for those of you listening to this, you will have to listen to episode 52, and you will to be a huge fan. You probably won't be part of their fan club right away. Like Kelly Noble Mirabella is the, she's the queen of their fan. She makes t-shirts. <laughs> she's that much of a fan of Andrew and Pete. They are awesome. They live in England and they're amazing. So please listen for that. Thank you, Sarah, so much for being with us. I know how busy you are and I appreciate that we still were able to do this. And um, I get flattered yeah. every time I get asked to do a show. So never worry. That's, it's so exciting to me. I love it. I saw I saw you on Twitter and I thought, oh, for sure. I, I've been wanting to do something with PR. And uh, of course, you were you had to be the person um, that we had thank on. You. So thank you so much. All right, folks, those of you watching on YouTube, watching on Facebook, listening to the podcast. Thank you all. If you like this show, please take a minute to um, rate and review us. If you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate that. All right. This has been episode 51 of Making a Marketer, and we will catch you next time.